Koinonia, Christian fellowship, communion with God and with fellow Christians. Koinonia, an association of people who share common beliefs and activities. This is Koinonia. This is Community. And now, your host, Tom Brown. Well, good afternoon, everyone. Um, I wish I can tell you that I look like Tom, but I'm not. Um, this is Al Fadi filling in for Tom Brown, and uh, I am the host of Let Us Reason. Uh, I'm a former Muslim uh, from Saudi Arabia originally, and some of you probably have been tracking uh, me through my uh, radio, uh, Let Us Reason, uh, which you can always access uh, on my website, sirainternational.com. And I'll give you more information later. Today's topic is going to be, um, how shall I say it, um, a little tough. If you're a Muslim person listening to it, I would pray that you would uh, pay close attention to the information I'm going to be sharing because it's going to be damaging to the history of Islam. And if you are a uh, believer in Christ, uh, I pray that this would be helpful information for you. Uh, to encourage you not only in your faith and your walk, but also in reaching out to the Muslim people and with this additional tool, of course. And I'll make sure things like this will always be available as a resource as well on my own website uh, down the road. But nevertheless, the topic we will be dealing with today has to do with the source criticism, questioning the historiosity of Islam, uh, comparing the classical accounts of Islam when Islam started it, for instance, and uh, when the Quran was compiled and when the biography was done and so on and so forth, and trying to compare that to findings that has been extremely damaging in terms of exposing a lot of weaknesses and flaws in the history of Islam. For instance, um, traditionally I grew up believing that the prophet of Islam was born in 570 AD, became a prophet or at least received his first revelation in a cave, known the cave of Hira, through the angel Gabriel, who was reciting the Quran to him uh, from the preserved tablets in heaven, came down to him basically, started receiving revelation in the year 610, ended receiving revelation uh, uh, when he died in 632. So we have 23 years, basically, of a period where the prophet claimed to be the messenger from God, Allah. Uh, during those uh, 23 years, his ministry was uh, divided into two parts. First 13 years were in his own town, Mecca. By the way, I grew up about 45 minutes away from Mecca. I drove to Mecca many times. I went to do uh, the religious rituals in Mecca so many times to earn fantastic, basically at that time, fantastic and uh, uh, you know amounts of good deeds that uh, probably I accumulated so much that I can donate to others because of the belief that Islam is a religion of works and going to Mecca and doing these rituals at the Holy Mosque would have been a great deed uh, to be done by a Muslim. Of course, I was being misled, of course, and I'm thankful that the Lord opened my eyes and I found him 15 years ago. And today I'm proudly a follower of our Lord Jesus Christ. Nevertheless, um, so the first 13 years in Mecca, the Quran that was revealed in those times called also the Meccan Quran. Uh, and then the last 10 years were in his own town where he's buried now called Medina, where is the second holy mosque in there. Medina is about 200 miles north of Mecca, give or take. 
And uh, we know this because uh, the style of the Quran also is different. In the Meccan uh, chapters are known to be short, poetic, they rhyme. And the Medina uh, chapters are longer, usually more on the narrative side. They have a lot of the stories of the prophets and creation and so on and so forth. So, nevertheless, this is uh, basically some of the facts that we've learned. Also, we learned that Muhammad died in the year 632. After him came four known as the four righteous caliphs or guided caliphs. The first is Abu Bakr, served for two years from 632 to 634. The second is Omar, served for 10 years from 634 to 644. Third, Uthman, who is accredited for what we call today the Uthmanic Quran, uh, served for about 13 years from 644 to 656. And finally, Ali, who served for five years from 656 to 661. It is notable uh, to, uh, it's important to notice, uh, note this, I should say, that the second, third, and fourth scale of all of them were assassinated. Well, this is just a brief history of what Muslims consider to be the classical account. When we come back after our first break, I am going to begin to expose to you some of the flaws in this. We will listen to some clips uh, uh, video seminars and things like that dealing with this some other also videos uh, uh, throughout the show and I will do my regular commentary on that so um, uh, for now let's take our first bla- a break and uh, when we come back we will resume uh, our talk about uh, the source criticism related to Islam once again if you're just joining us this is Al-Fadi sitting in for Tom Brown and this is Konania Radio on Faith Talk 1360 KPXQ. Well, welcome back to Koinonia Radio. I am your host, Al Fadi, and uh, filling in today for Tom Brown. And uh, the topic of our today's show has to do with the source criticism. But believe it or not, it's not going to be against the Bible, as we are uh, aware of that all the time. People tend to attack the Bible, whether liberal scholars or uh, uh, non-Christian scholars or Muslims, uh, basically, in general. As a former Muslim myself, I did that to the Bible. But today... I'm going to turn the table around, and it's source criticism against the uh, Islam, its history, and the Quran, if time, of course, allows us to cover all of this. But don't worry. You can always join me also to discuss these things in depth in my own show, Let Us Reason, on KPXQ 1360. That airs on Saturdays at 1030 in the morning. But you can also go to my website, www.cira-international.com and listen to the archived show in there. So we were saying before uh, the break that, historically speaking, the classical account of the start of Islam starts in the year 570 by the birth of the prophet. 610, he received his first revelation. 624, basically. Uh, 622, he moved to Medina. 624, the direction of prayer was changed from towards Jerusalem, supposedly to Mecca. And then in 632, the prophet died. Then we get the first four righteous caliphs, basically, and uh, uh, between 632 until 661. And then uh, from that, we from 661 to almost 750, we get with the first Islamic Sunni dynasty known as the Umayyad. And then 
uh, right after that, uh, from 6.50 until 12.58, we get the second golden age, basically, dynasty. This one is a Shia dynasty called the Abbasids. And after that, we get the Mongol dynasty, and then for about 200 years, and then from there, we get the last Islamic dynasty, the Ottoman Empire, that ended in uh, end of World War I, 1924. So, but I'm going to focus only on the uh, basically, the formative years, the start and the origin of Islam. So, 610, the prophet of Islam declared himself to be a prophet. His name is Muhammad. And 632, he died. And then about, um, you know, 40 years, give or take, uh, we end in 661 with those first four caliphs, ending with the founder of what we know today as the Shia Islam, Ali. Nevertheless, is this... What, sci- uh, what uh, uh, basically archaeologists now or historians are finding. Is this true? Are we discovering that based on uh, the Islamic tradition, uh, are we finding things to match this? That's where the problem begins. For instance, the source of information that we have about the start of Islam, actually almost 200 years after the event itself. Many scholars believe that was was written 200 years later, but backdated from there. So, for instance, the first biographer of Muhammad was uh, uh, known as Ibn Ishaq, supposedly um, written basically or lived around 765 A.D., But we don't have any of his. Uh, We have maybe a remnant of it. We know that because his student, Ibn Hisham, who wrote the biography in 833, made allusions to it. And then there is another biography that was written later after that. But nevertheless, so regarding the biography, we have problems. It's almost 200 years. Then we get also the sayings of the prophet, known as the Hadith. The first collection, actually, was in 870. Think about it. The prophet died in 632. 870, 250 years later, we begin to get what he said, collected. Bukhari alone collected about 600,000 of them, slimmed it down to 7,000, if that tells you anything. So he collected 600,000, sniffed through that uh, through the, uh, that pile of Hadith sayings and only left us with 7,000. Out of the 7,000, almost 3,000 are almost repetition. So technically speaking, we have only 4,000 Hadith. Is this bothering anybody so far? Because this is definitely something that we ought to pay close attention to. With that says, I want you to listen to a portion of this lecture, clip number one. Two days. Let's start then with Muhammad. What do we know about him? Well, according to the classical account, and this is what you have been taught, this is what's taught in all our schools, this is what's taught in our seminaries, our Bible schools, well, this is what's been taught everywhere. That Muhammad was born in 570, he started receiving his revelations in the cave, the Hira cave in 610. From 610 to 622, the next 12 years, he received what we know as the Meccan surahs, which are the latter parts of the Quran, from around surah 20 on to the 114. And then in 621, he was woken up in the middle of the night, told to get on the back of a winged horse called the Burak. He flies up to Jerusalem, and he goes up to the seven heavens, meets God, or Allah, who tells him to pray 50 times a day. Comes down two heavens, meets Moses, who asks him how many times, and he says 50. He says, that's way too many. See if you can get it back down. So he jumps back up to the seventh heaven, and he bounces back and forth between the seventh and the fifth heaven, bringing the number of prayers from 50 to 45 to 40, down right on down to five. When he gets to five prayers, 
Moses says, that's fine, go on back down. And so he does, comes to Jerusalem and flies back down to Medina. I'm sorry, to, to Mecca. Now, that's in 621. That's known as the Mihraj, the Mihraj. And of course, the next year, 622, he then moves from Mecca up to Medina with maybe 80 to 200 followers. It depends on which tradition you're going to follow. And then from 622 to 632, that last 10 years, he receives the Medinan revelations, and that's the much larger part uh, of the, well, it's half the Quran. Nonetheless, it's, it has the largest surahs. And then in 630, he goes down to Mecca, defeats it without firing a shot, and he dies in 632. Two years, uh, for two next two years, Abu Bakr takes over. He dies peacefully. Then he is followed by Umar for till 644. He is killed. Uthman takes over from 644 to 656. He is killed, and then Ali takes over from 656 to 61, and he is killed. Now, that's known as the four rightly guided caliphs from 632 to 661. That's known as the Rashidun period. That's the golden period of Islam. That's what ISIS and all the other groups want to take us back to, that golden period. Actually, it starts from 624 to 661, so roughly 40 years. That's the golden period. Now, have any of you heard any other story than what I've just said? No, no hands are raised. There's no reason to hear any other story. This is the only story we have ever heard for the last, well, you'd like to say 1,400 years. It's not 1,400 years. Everything I have just talked about is right there in that red area, right there. So, basically from 570 to 661. So, um, as you can see, uh, this is a lecture by a dear brother, his name is Jay Smith, whom I had on my show here before to talk about the recent discovery of two folios of the Quran known as the Birmingham uh, Quran. But nevertheless, this is part of his lecture where he talks about the problems with the origin of Islam. And uh, it's available on YouTube. You know, it's not like something that uh, is exclusive to me. Uh, but uh, definitely, I wanted just to use this as a confirmation uh, related to what I'm trying to say now in the next clip, which starts at the uh, minute number 525, uh, we will begin to see his analyses of what's going on. So let's listen to clip number two. Where do we get this information from? Where does any of this come from? Were they written down by people who knew Muhammad, who were actually there, who were eyewitness to what he said and did? No, none at all. Everything we know, everything I've just been telling you, all the stories and all this skeletal reference to Muhammad's life was first written down by a man named Ibn Ishaq. Well, that's 765. That's the late 8th century. We don't have any of his material. We're therefore dependent on another man named Ibn Hisham. Ibn Hisham was writing this down around 833. So that's 200 years after Muhammad died. We have really nothing earlier than Ibn Hisham in written form today about what Muhammad did. That's the Siratura Surah That would be the biography of the Prophet Muhammad. His sayings come quite a bit later. They are first written down and compiled in their final form by a man named um, Al-Buhari. He dies in 870. You can see, therefore, this red area here. There you can see Ibn Hisham. That's 240 years after the Prophet died. When you get to the Tafsir and the Tahrik, which would be the commentaries on the Quran, and the Tahrik would be the histories of mankind, when you get to that genre of material, they're first tabulated by a man named Al-Tabari, who died in 923. So everything we know that happens in this part of the world, of this time period, from the 7th century, is not written down till the 9th and 10th century. Does that bother any of you? That's the question. 
does indeed this bother any of you? If you're a Muslim listening to this, please ask yourself this question. Now, here is what you as a Muslim, what I as a former Muslim used to do. We used to poke holes in the gospel. We used to make claims that it was collected later. We used to claim that it are four different gospels, when in fact it's one gospel with four eyewitness accounts. Nevertheless, but let me give you a glimpse of what uh, the flaws in that argument. Jesus, historically, by the accounts of non-Christians, died around, 330, uh, uh, around 33 A.D., so died, was crucified, died, and resurrected, okay? We get the first Paul uh, letters by Paul around 48 A.D., and the last letter around 64 A.D., 2 Timothy, okay? So 48, that's 15 years after the event. In fact, when he wrote 1 Corinthians, which many believe that was his first letter, in 1 Corinthians 15, he was reminding the Corinthians church of the traditions they have already received that he's passing on to them as well, confirming what the gospel is, that Jesus came to die for our sins according to the scripture. Notice the eyewitness account he's using, the scripture, the word of God, that he was buried, that he rose again according to the scripture. Well, when we come back, I'll finish this argument related to comparing the gospel and the history of Christ compared to the problems with Islam and its historiosity. Once again, if you're joining us, this is Koinonia Radio, and I'm your host, Al-Fadi, filling in for Tom Brown. And when we get back after the break, we will continue our discussion of the source criticism of the Quran. Welcome back to Koinonia on Faith Talk 1360 KPXQ. I'm your host, Al Fadi, filling in for Tom Brown. And today's topic has to do with the source criticism of the history of Islam and also the Quran, if time allows us to do so. And before the break, I was making a comparison between the problems in terms of the dates when uh, a history or written history of Islam tells us related to when the prophet received his revelation when he died, when uh, the caliphs came after him, and when the Quran was collected, which is around the uh, um, the reign of Uthman ibn Affan, uh, the third caliph, which about uh, 644, give or take. But uh, we discover that all of those information come to us from writings that were written almost 200 years after the fact. So there's a gap of 200 years that we're not so sure, really, if the person who wrote these accounts the first time in the biography is even fabricating anything or telling us the truth. I mean, what, what were her so- his sources to begin with? Now, compare that to the gospel, for instance. We said Jesus died, according to all historical sources, around 33 AD. First uh, letters written, uh, which is Paul's letter, 
uh, 48, last letter, 64 A.D., the Gospels between 50 to 66 A.D., the Book of Acts, uh, anywhere between 52 to 62 A.D., and the Gospel of John, many would say um, could have been a later gospel. I disagree with that simply because God, uh, John doesn't mention anything about the destruction of the temple. And in there he talks uh, and allude to the temple as if it's still there. But no doubt the Revelation was written around 90 to 92 A.D. Nevertheless, here is what's going on. Christianity relies on source information that dates between 15 to 60 years after the time of Christ. Islam relies on sources that date between 200 to 300 years later. Hmm. I wonder which one has more problem. The one that was written between 15 to 60 years or the one that was written between 200 and 300 years. I think it goes without saying. We do have a problem. And forgive me, I don't even think Houston can help with this. Nevertheless, let us talk about now other problems. Uh, the mention of Islam, for instance. Uh, the mention of the world, uh, the, the word Muslims, and many other things. You see, many discoveries these days actually is saying that Islam as a religion didn't even exist in the 7th century, but it's something that was evolved later. 200 to 300 years later. The Quran also wasn't technically revealed to one man in 22 years. Why? Because there are evidence that the multiple people who are involved in writing this Quran likely evolved over a period of 50 to 100 years later. For instance, scholars like Rippin, uh, Lester, uh, Wanchborough, uh, Humphreys, all of those scholars have done their homework and they are giving us this kind of information. So the history of Islam, at least from the time of the Caliph Abdul Malik. In other words, since 685, we can begin to trace some things related to Islam, not fully yet. So this indicates anything before that 685 could be a fabrication. In fact, I want you to listen right now to clip number three. Uh, which also starts from the same YouTube around the minute number 1751. Well, they call themselves Sarasins. They call themselves Magarins. Um, I'm sorry, Hagarins from the Hagarins from the line of Hagar. They call themselves Ishmaelites from the line of Ishmael. They call themselves Maghrites from the area of the Maghreb. They call themselves Mahajurun, which would people of the Hijr, people of the Exodus. These are the nomadic people. So they did give their names, but they didn't use the word Muslim. Isn't that curious? The first reference to the religion called Islam is not till 691, and that's on the Dome of the Rock. The first reference to Mecca, here's the worst part. The first reference we can find to the city of Mecca is not till 741. And the first biography of Muhammad does not get written down till 833. So, um, I don't know if you caught what he was talking about. The first reference to Mecca wasn't until 691. 60 years after the prophet of Islam died. This is interesting because the Quran actually makes reference to Mecca as if it's the mother of all towns and Muslims all of their history make the claim, and I was one of them, that Mecca is the center basically of commerce, that it was a very prominent town and Islam even added to its prominency and superiority. Uh, super, uh, superiority. Nevertheless, this primacy and superiority that is mentioned in the history of Islam 
discoveries do not jive with it. They don't match those kind of things. Because we do have plenty of problems with Mecca. Related, for instance, to its descriptions in the Quran and uh, the direction of uh, the prayer and so on and so forth. For instance, there are many documentaries that were done on this. Uh, there is a gentleman by name Tom Holland who wrote uh, In the Shadow of the Sword. He had a documentary that was done related to this issue. He asked historical questions. He brings many strands together. He questioned Islamic sources and he points to the Quranic incongruities. Okay. So uh, his biography is known as Islam, the Untold Story. You can go and Google it on YouTube and you'll find it. You can watch the whole thing. Islam, the Untold Story by Tom Holland. Okay. Another source, uh, at least a scholarly source, called the Quranic Geography, uh, done by Dan Gibson. He asked basically where did Islam actually begin? Was Mecca the original holy city or a different town? He claims Petra is the original city, that the Quran actually is describing Petra, not Mecca, and he gives compelling evidence for this. Did the Qibla, meaning the direction, the direction of prayer, originally was facing Mecca or was it facing a different direction? In the clip that you just listened to, uh, Jay Smith was referring to the fact that Muslims were not called Muslims until 691. Before that, they were called Saracen, Hagarin, Ishmaelites, and many other things. Uh, that's interesting. Why weren't they called Muslims for, the la- for 60 years after the time of the Prophet, supposedly? Why is the first reference to Islam is not found until 691 in the Dome of the Rock, for instance, which was incidentally built also by Al-Ma'mun, okay? Uh, or in, uh, by uh, the Umayyad um, uh, Caliph. Uh, and then you have the first reference to, uh, the, to Mecca itself wasn't found until 741 A.D. That's another problem, almost 100 years after the time of the Prophet. So um, to, to add to this, let's listen to clip number four, which starts at uh, minute 2843. It's where Muhammad was living. It's where Islam began. No one heard about this city. The first reference she could find for Mecca was not till the apocalypse of Pseudomethodius continue on to Byzantia, Arabica, written in 741. Muhammad died in 632. Can you see the problem? The first time it's recorded on any map is not till 900 AD. That's the 10th century. We don't see anything recorded on any map of this place called Mecca. Well, take a look at modern Mecca today. There's the fourth highest building in the world that they have now built in Mecca, the largest clock tower modeled on Big Ben itself over down here. And they are now building all around it. This looks down right onto the Kaaba. And all around it now, they are building what they want to do for the future. And one of those is going to be chosen as the future of Mecca. They are cementing the entire city up. Today, They're expanding, and you can see there's the clock tower. It's 45 feet across, that clock tower. It's going to be, they want to make it Mecca Mean Time. They want to take Greenwich Mean Time and change it to Mecca Mean Time, so all our clocks are going to be designated to that clock. But all around the Kaaba there, there are now all these cranes. You see that? They're all digging it all up. That's Muhammad's house right there. There's Khadija's house. They're cementing it all over. But here's the curious thing. Whenever you go back to an archaeological site, it doesn't matter where it is in the world, whether it's in Jerusalem or Damascus 
or Mecca, you always have archaeologists go with you so that they, if there's any ruins there, if there are any artifacts there, they take them, they preserve them, and put them into museums so that we can look at them, right? That is by law, done all over the world. In this case, that has been done as well. But guess what? They haven't found a thing. So, what Jay is mentioning here is that they're doing digging right now for foundations to build tall, high-rises, commercial centers, hotels, something called the Clock Tower that is going to be one of the largest and tallest, basically, buildings in the region. Nevertheless, they're building them even around the so-called uh, uh, the House of the Prophet, for instance, and they're not finding any artifacts. They're not finding any evidence of anybody who even lived there in those times or someone is called Muhammad, for instance. Okay, so that's really troubling because as a result of this, they're filling them up with concrete to just kind of bury the evidence, literally. Now, here's another problem we find. The Quran talks about geography. It talks about, make references to geography about 65 different places or times, I should say, uh, 65 times in the Quran makes allusions or references to geography. But by name, it only mentions nine places. One of them is known as Ad, 23 uh, times. Uh, is, uh, it's assumed to be the biblical Uz, okay? Thamud, 24 times known as the area for Nabataeans, okay, where Petra exists. Midian, seven times. How many times do you think Mecca was mentioned compared to these? One time only. Chapter 48 of the Quran, verse 24. That's really strange. If Mecca is the center of everything, if that's where the prophet came from, if it is going to be the holy of holies, basically, why is it mentioned one time only, and all of the other geographical reference that were mentioned, they're at least 600, 700 miles north of it. That's strange. In fact, Mecca mentioned in 4824, another different name of it was mentioned in chapter 3, verse 96. Many claim it is Mecca, but it's called Becca. Now, I would argue this is the Becca Valley, actually, that leads into Jerusalem. But we won't get into that for now, at least. Nevertheless, the point we're trying to make here is that there are problems. We're approaching our next break. When we come back, we'll dig deeper into these geographical problems in the Quran and the source uh, criticism of Islam and the Quran itself. If you're just joining us, this is Al Fadi filling in for Tom Brown, and you've been listening to Koinonia Radio on Faith Talk 1360 KPXQ. Welcome back to Koinonia on Faith Talk 1360 KPXQ. I'm your host, Al-Fadi, filling in for Tom Brown. And today's topic has to do with source criticism. And this time we're focusing on the history of Islam and also uh, parts of it uh, apply to the Quran. And before the break, we were saying there are so many problems 
with the references that are made uh, related to Mecca, for instance, historical references by Islamic sources, I should say. Also problems with the dating. Uh, we have, for instance, 200-year to 300-year gap between the, uh, when the Prophet died and when we begin to get first mentions of him. We also have about a um, uh, almost 60 years gap between the time the Prophet died and we begin to uh, get references to Islam or to Muslims. Before that, the Muslim people called themselves differently and so on and so forth. And now we are talking also about the Quran's geography and the problems with that. The Quran invested a lot of time talking about other towns and yet one time only about itself, about Mecca, for instance. And the description of Mecca in the Quran is quite peculiar. It says that it's found in a valley with a stream and another parallel valley to that valley and a pillar of salt that is found in there with fields that has trees, grass, clay, loom, olive trees, and mountains overlooking the Kaaba. Only problem is this. I, I lived 45 minutes away from that. I did not see any of this. Yes, there are mountains, but not that, not, not that close. There are no olive trees in there. There are no pillars of salt. There is no two parallel valleys. So... Makes you wonder, what is the Quran actually describing here? And that's where we get to the problem of geography. And when it comes to that, we discover that actually, uh, could it be that the Quran actually is not talking about Mecca, but talking about Petra? Simply because the earliest, basically, uh, trade maps that we have doesn't even come close to mentioning Mecca. In fact, they skip over Mecca to Medina. And from there, they go to other towns, and then Petra is referenced as if it's a center for commerce. In the 7th century, Arab trade routes do not show Mecca. Okay? The first reference is actually officially in 741 A.D., when the name Mecca was given to us. The earliest map that shows it is 900 A.D., 300 years later, after the time of prophet. That was found by Patricia Crone, or Crone. Uh, Greek trading documents refer to the towns of Taif, southeast of Mecca, Yathrib, which called Medina also, Khaybar, but never to Mecca. That's what she stated in her own research. And... Uh, we have more problems simply because the town that was described actually in there quite possibly is Petra, simply because we have some problems related to the direction of the early mosques that were built have the direction of prayer facing towards Petra, not towards Mecca, like the Wasit Mosque, the Kufa Mosque in Iraq, the Fustat Mosque outside of Cairo. Uh, the, uh, these mosques were built between the 7th and 8th century, but none of them face Mecca. If the Quran actually in 624 claimed that had changed the direction to Mecca, how come these mosques that were built after the time of the Prophet don't even come close to facing that? Nevertheless, uh, we must really take this with a serious look because the geography of the Quran is way off. In fact, Petra is the one that probably qualifies for all those descriptions relating to the fact that it is found inside of a valley, that it has a parallel valley, 
and so on and so forth. And it has the olive trees and the, uh, uh, the uh, clay and uh, uh, pillars of salt and so on and so forth. So if we focus on the analysis that was done by Dan Gibson in his uh, book, Geography of the Quran, we discovered that 100% of mosques between 622 and, 620, uh, and 725 face Petra. And then we get to a period of confusion between 725 and 822 AD, where some of them faced to Mecca, one of the, uh, some of them faced to Petra, and others faced in a different direction. And finally, after 822 AD, all of them now face towards Mecca. So that's some of the problems. But let's shift gears now and focus on problems with the Quran. The Quran is called the Quran because it's basically recited uh, by the angel Gabriel to the prophet of Islam, Muhammad. And as a result of this, we have what we have in our hand today, claim that this is the Quran, the last word of God that is promised to be preserved in chapter 15, verse 9. God himself says, I'll preserve it. Nevertheless, it has 114 chapters. Muslims claim that the Bible has been tampered with, but the Quran never. And yet... We have some damaging discoveries that exposes problems with this Quran. Let's listen to clip number five. In 1972, during the restoration of the great mosque of Sana'a, capital of North Yemen, workers discovered a mash of old parchments in a loft between the inner and outer roofs. The entire load was stuffed into some 20 potato sacks where it might have remained were it not for the arrival seven years later of Dr. Gerd Puin, a German scholar and Quranic expert. Puin immediately grasped the significance of the find. Working with a team of local assistants, he carefully prized the layers apart and fired off thousands of photographs. Four fragments immediately caught Puyin's attention. They contained the first and last chapters of the Quran, and unlike any other Qurans in existence, they were illustrated with architectural drawings of mosques. A vital clue to their origin. Because of its drawings, because of the art historical context, you can date this Quran very precisely to the time of Al-Walid. This is the reign between 705 and 715. The oldest datable Quran in the world, created some 70 years after the death of the Prophet. From the potato sacks, Puyin identified fragments from nearly a thousand different Qurans. Comparisons between them and the standard Cairo text in use today are startling. These early texts are written in a kind of shorthand with no vowel markings or distinguishing dots, which means that individual words can have up to 30 different meanings. Is it actually so that uh, the sheer existence the sheer existence of so many different possible readings would suggest that this text wasn't passed down word for word. The text isn't as stable as it seems in the Cairo version. There was another important discovery amongst the Sana fragments. The application of simple forensic techniques revealed earlier texts 
that had been washed off and overwritten. Although the hidden text revealed no contradictory meanings, words had been changed, verses and whole chapters rearranged. If his researches are correct, particularly on dating, it suggests, in fact, that the Qur'an was not a single product, a single entity that was fixed by 650, but actually developed much, much later, hence the uh, overlaying of texts or written materials. Well, uh, you've heard it. We have a problem in terms of the fact that the discovery of the earliest Quranic manuscript in 1972 by Kurt Poing and his wife, who studied this since then, thousands of perishments uh, indicate that this discovery is so damaging to the Quran simply because there has been tampering with the text, removal of older passages, inclusion of newer passages that do not match the older ones, and some of those don't even match what we have in our hand today. And yet, some of the design in it indicate that it would have been around the times of uh, Al-Khalifa, uh, the Caliph Abdul Malik, which, by the way, I just want to apologize. I earlier made a mistake, uh, made an, an error, I should say, and I said Al-Ma'moon. I was you know, uh, hastily talking. I meant to say Abdul Malik. During his time, around 685-ish, give or take, we begin to see some of those references now to either back to Islam now or to the Quran, and uh, it went from there. So I just want to make that correction to make sure that I'm, uh, no one claimed that I'm misleading you in any way. Now, um, time is almost running out, but I just want you to listen to a little bit of this clip about some facts related to the Quran by uh, our dear brother, David Wood, uh, some of these facts that he's going to lay out here in his video on YouTube called the 10 Facts, 10 Facts About the Quran. Uh, you can always go and listen to it, of course. Uh, let's listen just a few of those facts. The greatest threat to terrorist groups like the Islamic State, the Taliban, Boko Haram, al-Shabaab, and al-Qaeda is not a UN resolution or the U.S. military. The greatest threat to terrorists is an informed population, because only an informed population can undermine the ideology that gives rise to jihad. With this in mind, let's go through 10 facts about the Quran, history's most effective manual for violently subjugating nations and cultures. Fact number one, the word Quran means recitation. The Quran is something that's supposed to be recited from memory. Muhammad and his companions weren't big on reading, and in Muhammad's time, portions of the Quran were only written down as memory aids. It wasn't until later that some of his followers came up with the idea of putting it all together into book form. So, why would Muslims want to recite the Quran? Because, fact number two, Muslims believe that the Quran is the word of Allah. The angel Gabriel, as the story goes, delivered verses to Muhammad, and Muhammad passed these verses on to his followers. But as far as the Quran is concerned, Gabriel and Muhammad were male men. It's the word of Allah, not the words of Gabriel or Muhammad. Why do Muslims believe that the Quran is the word of Allah? Because, fact number three, Muhammad said so. The Quran was supposedly revealed to one man, Muhammad. Unlike the Bible, which contains numerous shorter works written by around 40 different authors, the Quran stands or falls with the lone testimony of Muhammad, a guy whose first impression of his revelations was that they were demonic, a guy who repeatedly tried to kill himself, a guy who believed he was the victim of magic spells that gave him delusional thoughts and false beliefs, a guy who delivered verses to his followers and later blamed the devil for tricking him, a guy who had sex with a nine-year-old girl, had nine wives at one time, even though the Quran says Muslims can only have well, four. Well, if you're joining us, um, you've been listening 
into Konania on Faith Talk 1360 KPXQ. I'm your host, Alfadi, filling in for Tom Brown. And you get the idea. There are problems upon problems with the history of Islam and the history of the Quran and its collection and so on and so forth. We are approaching our last break. When we come back, we will um, give our final comments related to the source criticism against the Quran and Islam. Welcome back to Koinonia on Faith Talk 1360 KPXQ. I'm your host, Al Fadi. I'm uh, also the host of Let Us Reason. And um, I've been filling in today for uh, our dear brother, Tom Brown. And today's talk has to do with the source criticism directed against Islam and its historiosity and also against the Quran and some of the problems found in there. This is a deep topic, obviously. Uh, it's impossible to cover in one hour, two, or three. But this is just a taste of uh, the type of things that I'll be also uh, digging deeper into in my own show, Let Us Reason, which you can access from soundcloud.com or through the website here at KPXQ1360 or through my own website, www.sirainternational.com. And the word Sira is C-I-R-A. Sira International. Um, really, my uh, final thoughts is to my Muslim people. If you've been listening to this, my advice and my prayer is that you would consider exploring all of these issues that I have just raised. They're available readily for you online. You can always watch these videos. You can go investigate the sources. You can go and look at the books and the documentations that are offered and all of the scholarly research that is done. This is a matter of life and death, literally, your eternal life versus your eternal damnation in the hellfire. And my prayer is that you will enjoy eternal life that our Lord Jesus Christ has offered us, a free gift by grace, by faith alone, not by works. This is why I myself is a former Muslim today, and I'm only one of many. I'm not alone. My prayer to you as a believer is that you would take this information uh, to share with others who need to hear it from the Muslim community. May God give you the strength and the ability, for he promised that we can do all things in Christ who strengthened us. Thank you for listening to me. Uh, this is Al-Fadi filling in for Tom Brown, and you can also listen to my own radio show on Monday uh, on uh, Saturdays at 10.30 at Let Us Reason. Until we meet again, have a blessed week.